Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. How are you today? I'm so glad to be with you today. We had a run and encore yesterday, and I apologize for that, but we are together today, and I'm so happy. And our new format is uh, enables you to call in any time during this entire hour with anything on your heart. You don't have to wait for the second half hour anymore. And um, it, it can be what we're speaking about, but it doesn't have to be. The, the heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. So call in with anything at all that you have on your heart. And the toll-free number is one 511 5483 or you may email at mother at com. We have been reading from Keep the Faith by Canon Francis Ripley, a very beautiful book on the total faith. Um, and we're doing that because we've said in these crazy times and getting a little crazier and more unsure by the day uh, with the situation with Russia and Ukraine um, and also the evil growing in the United States and uh, tragically, um, within the church, um, what we have is God. We are his people, beloved, and we need to know him and love him. Um, and he's given us the Bible to do that and the church to teach the faith. The church gave us the Bible, as Martin Luther himself said, without the church we would not have the Catholic Bible. Um, because it came from the church. The church didn't come from the Bible. The Bible came from the church. The church our Lord founded 2,000 years ago. So we're reading through a a good book, Um, uh, This is the Faith, and um, we've spoken all about the scriptures, and uh, we're on a next section, which is titled, The Bible is Not the Only Rule of Faith. In other words, it's not sola scriptura. The Bible is not the only rule of faith. The Bible is not the only authority. Um, As an evangelical Protestant for 18 years, I was taught that the Bible was the only authority, sola scriptura. Um, And one of the questions that uh, helped me look into the Catholic Church, it was pointed out that nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say it's the only authority. It cannot. It cannot say that. Um, the canon of scripture was not put together till the 4th and 5th centuries and um, 1500 years later Martin Luther single-handedly took out more than seven books so um, it it is not sola scriptura Um, I've often uh, had the example of a family who has a great grandmother and they want to give her a surprise for her 90th birthday and so the grandchildren and the children um, go through everything in the house, every all the letters that have been written, um, all the, the instructions written when they went to school and camp, uh, love letters when they were dating and married, um, all kinds of family occasions and all of that. And they got everything that had been written by members of the family and the grandma and the great-grandma. And on her birthday, they bound it. They had a, been a beautiful gift and they said, Grandma, this is your family. This is, there's nothing in here 
that's missing. There's nothing in here that anyone needs to know. Uh, there's nothing that anyone needs to know other than what's in this book. This is your family, period. And Grandma would say, children, I'm very appreciative of your love and your gift and all that you went through to put this beautiful book together. But my goodness, that doesn't begin to tell everything about the family because the letters were written from the family, but there's so many things that weren't written down and Papa's talks by the fireplace and camping trips we made and recipes and traditions. And there's so much that's not in here that we lived as a family, a family is a living thing, and the letters are living, but they're not total. They're from the family, and that's the Bible. It's from the family that our Lord established um, uh, uh, following his resurrection and everything prior to it, pointing to the death and resurrection of Christ and everything that followed. In fact, when the New Testament speaks speak of the scriptures, um, it only speaks of the Old Testament, what we now call the Old Testament in Hebrew, the Tanakh, just the Testament, the Bible from the Old Testament, because there was no New Testament. So how could there be an old one? There's not a new. Every time the scriptures, the New Testament speaks of the scriptures, it's referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament was not written yet. And so what became canonical scripture included um uh, certainly is inerrant and infallible and authoritative, but it's not the only authority. The church that wrote the scriptures, God has kept their teaching um, as infallible through the Holy Spirit by by oral teaching as by written teaching. And that teaching is infallible and cannot be um, uh, abri- cannot be destroyed, uh, cannot be uh, let go. It's, it's part of the faith. I'm trying to remember a verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.15, I think it is, um, where Paul says, um, to keep the traditions which you have, they have heard from him, whether in writing or orally. The traditions, not this little t, the traditions of men, but capital T, the traditions of God, which they heard from him, rather written or in oral manner. They are equally authoritative. Um, and so, Canon Ripley says, and this is the faith, the Bible is not the only rule of faith. There must be, let me get that back, hold on a minute. <clears throat> Thus, there must be some external authority to decide which books are part of the inspired Bible and which are not. How could the Bible be the only rule of faith when the Bible can't tell you what books should be in the Bible? It, it can't be. It's impossible. Um, in fact, often my pastor and others, my Protestant pastor would say, um, quote a verse in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse that says, if whoever adds to this book will be accursed. Yes, not to the Bible, to the book of Revelation, because the Bible wasn't put together when Revelation was, was written. It wasn't the last book of the Bible. It wasn't, the New Testament wasn't even written yet. Uh, it was written, but it wasn't put together canonically as a New Testament, as Scripture. So um, um, it says here, Canon Ripley says, the Bible itself does not say. It is only through the infallible authority of the Catholic Church that men today know for certain the contents of the Bible. 
The church provides a correct and complete version of the scriptures and forbids Catholics to use Protestant, the Protestant Bible. Why? The church doesn't f- forbid Catholics to use the Catholic Bible, but they forbid, the church forbids us to use the Protestant Bible. Why? Because there are um, books, seven books, plus parts of Daniel and Esther that are not included. It's a truncated Bible. Christ founded a teaching church, and he commanded all men to believe in it. Yet, he did not tell his church to teach by writing. The church did, for many years, use the written... The church did not, for many years, use the written word at all. And I I think I mentioned, uh, oh, quite a while back, that in my evangelical years, I was part of a missions program... And I remember reading a book on world missions that in the year 1405, something like 5% of the world was even literate. There were no printing presses for another couple of hundred years. For the Bible to be written, it took uh, an entire year to do it and a year's salary. Um, And so the church did not for many years use the written word at all. Her standard method of teaching was by word of mouth. Hence, the written word cannot be of the very essence of the constitution of the church. It was only later that some of the apostles wrote down some of the teaching of Christ. Some of the apostles wrote down some of the teaching of Christ. St. John concludes in his Gospel of St. John, quote, there are also many other things with Jesus, which Jesus did, which if they were written, everyone, the world itself, I think, would not be able to contain the books that should be written. John chapter 21, verse 25. St. Paul wrote also, therefore, brethren, this is the Second Thessalonians verse, therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold to the traditions which you have learned, whether by word or by our epistle. Again, not the traditions of men that Jesus condemned, but the traditions of God. Insisting that these traditions be handed on, he wrote, Paul wrote to Timothy, and the things which thou hast heard of me by many witnesses, things that which thou had heard, by not read, of me by many witnesses, the same commend to faithful men who shall be fit to teach others also. There's four generations in that verse. Which you have heard, uh, commit to faithful men who will teach others also. Three generations, I think. I once found four in there. I'd have to think about it again. Teach those who will teach others also. That's discipleship. We are not to keep what God has given us to ourselves. If we know the way of salvation and we keep it to ourselves, one priest said we are thieves. We must not keep it to ourselves. If we do, we have no love for God or men. Or men. Because God died for them. And if we know um, the, the value of his death and resurrection and we have life... And we don't tell others the way not to spend eternity in hell. There's no love in us. And we possibly don't have love for God if we keep it to ourselves. Because he wants everyone who breathes to be saved. He died for every soul. Will every soul be saved? No. But we need to not keep it to ourselves so as many as possible may be saved. 
We'll be right back after the break. Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. We're happy to be with you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. We strive to keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and a look at the breaking news of the day. Join us on the Catholic Drive Time Show every weekday morning at 7 a.m. across the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. That's every weekday morning at 7 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there. God love you. Being tempted isn't a sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that Christ was tempted in all ways that we are yet without sin. So if I'm being tempted, and then in a certain sense, I'm in good company. I'm in the company of our Lord, in the company of Jesus. But what he wants me to do is actually resist. Resist those temptations as he did during his life. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support and may God bless you and your family. listening to the station of the cross on your car radio but sometimes find yourself driving outside the listening area never miss another minute of your favorite show download the iCatholic radio app so you can listen anywhere in the world 24 hours a day the iCatholic radio app is available for your phone in the apple store or for your android phone in google play visit the station of the for more information Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled that you're with us, and I'll just remind you that you don't have to wait till the half hour to call in anymore. Um, during the whole hour, with what we're speaking about, or with anything on your heart, and the toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. We are. Um, reading from This is the Faith by Canon Francis Ripley, and we're talking about the fact that the that Sola Scriptura is not of God. The Bible is not the only authority. It couldn't be. When uh, I was listening to the testimony of Scott Hahn, once Presbyterian minister who became Catholic, and he was a professor at seminary, and one of his students said, Mr. Hahn, I used to be Catholic. Um, I'm not anymore. I'm an evangelical now. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm just wondering, though, where where does the Bible say that it's the sole authority? Where does it say that? 
And and Scott, you know, I remember his testimony thinking, what a ridiculous question. Uh, and he was trying to think of an answer, and he couldn't come up with anything. And he said, well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back. You know, I, it's, it's the verse is slipping my mind right now. Well, I went on to ask my Protestant pastors and everyone else, there is no such verse in Scripture that says it's the th- sole authority. Is the Word of God authoritative? Indeed it is. Written by God. It's infallible. It's inerrant and authoritative. But um, it's not the only authority. The church that produced the Bible uh, is the authority. Um, St. Peter makes another noteworthy, I'm continuing to read now, St. Peter makes another noteworthy, it's easy for you to say, St. Peter makes another noteworthy, noteworthy point when he writes, quote, As also our most dear brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, hath written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are certain things hard to be understood, which the unlearned and unstable rest that is, twist, as they do also the other scriptures, to their own descri- destruction. Second Peter 3. Thus the writings which now form the New Testament never displaced the teaching church. In my own words now, uh, the church did not come from the scriptures, which I had been taught as an evangelical. How could they? How could it? Um, the scriptures came from the church. They came from men whom God appointed um, uh, through whom he wrote the truth. Thus, the writings which now form the New Testament never displaced the teaching church. It was in the church that they were read. It was by the church that they were treasured as inspired. Moreover, the church always taught that they needed explaining, as St. Peter said so clearly, that they needed synthesizing, that they had to be brought to the knowledge Hold on now. To the knowledge of the great majority of men who either could not read or could only understand the simplest things, like so many today, that the passage of the years would make them even more difficult to understand. Again, the church had to supplement the Bible teaching to supply some of the things which St. John says were never written down. In many parts of the world, The scriptures could not become available until printing was invented. And I said before, that's largely in the 16th century, which is why the Reformation in the 1500s just uh, was able to just be dispersed all over the place because there was a printing press then. Most important is the fact that the scriptures needed a guarantee of authenticity, and the church alone could give that guarantee. Without the church, the Bible cannot exist. It wouldn't exist. The church wrote the Bible. The people of the church wrote the Bible. It is only through the Catholic Church that Protestants know what the Bible contains. In the early years of Christianity, there were many, many books claiming to give accounts of Christ's life and miracles. Who was to decide which were inspired and which were not? Obviously, only an infallible church could do this. We have a call from Pedro in Ohio. Hi, Pedro. Good morning, Mother Mary. How are you doing this morning? Oh, fine, my dear brother. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you for taking my call. Um, sure. 
this question I've been pondering for a while. My brother-in-law told me once a couple of years ago, and it's about doing the last season. The numbers don't add up when you kind of calculate how many weeks and how many days and it's 40 mm-hmm. days and so forth. So he had told me once that on Sundays you're allowed to have a cheat day, for lack of better words, where if you give up something for Lent or decide to do something for Lent, then Sunday's the day that you're allowed to, I guess, uh, skip that and do whatever it is that you, for, you know, for, for, uh, gave up or not do. So I just want to confirm, is there such a thing? Because kind of the days don't add up when you calculate 40 days and you tell me what that No, I know. It doesn't wrong. come to 40. I understand. Um, he's right. He's right. It's not that we cheat. It's that on uh, holy days of obligation, which Sunday is, it's a holy day of obligation. If there were another feast, that would be a holy first class, a fr- holy day of so Sundays are generally second class, but uh, it's, it's a holy day of obligation. And if any feasts come in that are holy days during Lent, we are also uh, free from the fast. So we can, uh, it's not cheat, but we worship God on that day and we, we are excused from the fast on any holy day of obligation, which includes every Sunday. You're not mandate, mandated to skip the fast and not continue, but you, you may. So I think most more than not, people fast during the week, six days, and they take Sunday and they relax the fast. I think that's more common than not, but we don't have to. It's our choice. Great. I appreciate that, and, and thank you for that clarification. It's always something that uh, I've tried to, uh, you know, do right, and, you know, hearsay is not enough for me. I wanted to confirm it. I yeah. just want to thank you for that. God That's bless it. you, dear one. God, thanks for calling in, Pedro. And again, anyone else, you're welcome to call in. Our next section here is under the word, um, under the heading. Let me get to it now. Uh, where did it go? Here it is, tradition. Uh, Again, we're looking at the tradition of God that he gave the church. That the whole, um, uh, it's tradition, um, the oral law, the magisterium, and the scriptures. Kind of a three legs of the stool that is authoritative, that God gave the church. Um, Again, tradition with a capital T, the tradition that God gave, not the traditions of men. I've often said that God gave his people, the Hebrews, many hundreds of laws. Um, He's a holy God, good and righteous, and his law was holy and righteous and just, just as he. But the Hebrews, instead of saying, Lord, your law is holy and righteous and good, we know that it reflects you, who are a God who is holy, righteous and good. But we can't keep it. Help. That's what God wanted. And because he wanted them to know they could not keep it. They were fallen. They were not perfect. Yet God uh, demands perfection. And so they needed help. They need a savior. They need someone to redeem them from the the just uh, fruits of the law of, of not keeping it. But instead of that, they made up their own laws that they could keep, which has nothing to do with God. And so here too, um, we have the tradition that God has given and the written word and the teaching magisterium. Um, Canon Ripley says, as we shall see later, the Holy Ghost guides the church. He too inspires the scripture. See, the same Holy Ghost 
that has kept the scriptures for 2,000 years, even though different translations that has kept the scriptures is the same Holy Ghost that has kept the oral traditions. Hence, the one cannot contradict the other. Scripture can never contradict what the church teaches. Never contradict. And in these days, beloved, I think I need to say um, there's much confusion, even coming from the Vatican and from our Holy Father. Tremendous confusion, even at times that contradicts Scripture. They cannot both be right, and Scripture is infallible, and it means that the Holy Father... Um, is not infallible. He is infallible when he teaches matters of faith and doctrine that um, um, he is then protected by the gift of infallibility. He's not an infallible person. But when he teaches matters of faith and morals that are binding on the faithful, he is, by the gift of infallibility, it's not so much that he teaches what is true, it means that he's prevented from teaching error. It's kind of a negative situation. The Holy Father is prevented from teaching error when he's teaching a matter of faith and morals that's binding on us. This current Holy Father has never taught anything binding on the faithful, no matter how he's put his words. Uh, even when he said something was magisterial teaching, it's not. Um, there are certain uh, conditions for it to be magisterial teaching and to be binding on the faithful. So um, uh, has the Pope erred? Yes. Has uh, Have bishops and priests erred? Yes. Have uh, many other popes erred? Yes, they can express their opinion, which could be wrong, but um, not when they teach the faith. It's binding. Um, Again, the Holy Scripture, that the, the Holy Spirit that has protected the Scriptures um, and wrote them through men. Um, it's the Holy Spirit who wrote through men the Word of God. Uh, that same Holy Spirit has protected the oral tradition of the, sh the church as well. Um, it is through rejecting tradition, capital T, and leaving every man to interpret the Bible for himself, which Luther did, that Protestantism has Protestantism. It's a protest. Protestantism has resulted in such a multiplicity of contradictory sects, S-E-C-T-S, and that the Bible is less respected, less used, and less understood in the world today than ever before. And that's, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. The Bible is, is for us, the Catholic Bible, no other Bible. And um, there are good translations. Many have asked what translation we use. I personally use the Revised Standard Virgin, Version, Catholic Edition, not the new Revised uh, Version. Um, let's see, the Revised Standard Version. Yes, I think that's right. The re um, RSV, Revised Standard Version, Catholic Edition, because the um, Protestant Bible also has a Revised Standard Version. The New Testaments both contain 27 books. They're both the same. But in the Old Testament, again, there are seven less books and parts of Daniel and Esther. So 47 in the Old Testament, 26 in the New, um, which totals 40, 73 books together. Um, Somehow I may have got the number wrong. No, that's correct. 47 in the old, 26 in the new, 
and the total is 72 in the Catholic Bible. The 72 in what our Lord had in the Septuagint translation, which was the Hebrew into Greek. Um, that is the full Bible our Lord gave. And when I came into the Catholic Church and read those seven books for the first time, I couldn't believe I was robbed of them for all those years. God bless you, dear ones. Go ahead and call in on the break, one 511 5483 or email at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back. If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814 814- 676-1910 That's 814-676-1910 We would love to help you experience the liturgy of the hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Bring many more people closer to our Lord by letting them know about Catholic Radio. One of the simplest ways to promote Catholic Radio is by displaying a bumper magnet on your car. Order your free bumper magnets at thestationofthecross.com. We'd be happy to send bumper magnets for your listening area so that others can come to know the Lord. That's thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for sharing Catholic Radio on the road. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. Um, actually, this is... Uh, we have a whole half hour all to ourselves now. And again, this was normally the time for you to call in or email, but um, you can call in during the entire hour. And now as well, the toll-free number, one 511 5483 or um, email at com. Rhonda has an email, and she writes, On the show, Mother, on the show, Mother has a very powerful, sorrowful picture of our Blessed Mother holding Jesus. This picture can be found on her desk. Yes, it can. Uh, can you please let me know where I can purchase a copy? Um, this is, if you don't all see it, it's not so clear, but I'll show it to you. Isn't that gorgeous? I just think it's absolutely 
amazing. And it was given to me, Rhonda, as a gift. And um, the person who gave it to me um, received it as a gift. And so she will ask the person who gave it to her where she got it. So hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this. But um, the one on my desk is a copy she made of it. And yes, it's quite beautiful. It's also my feast day, September 15th. Um, uh, Our Mother of Sorrow. Let me continue now, and this is The Faith with Canon Francis Ripley, and he says, The Christian tradition is contained in early church history, in the decrees of early councils, in primitive liturgies, in the Acts of the Martyrs, in the books of the early fathers and doctors of the church and ecclesiastical writers, in inscriptions, in the catacombs, and on Christian archaeological moments. I, I, I'll never forget the shock I had when I was, um, I, I think, a new... No, I wasn't a Catholic yet. I wasn't a Catholic yet. And I went to Rome, and I forget... It, it, I entered the church in 95, so this was a year or two before then. Um, and I forget how I went or who, how I went or with whom, but, um, but we went down to the catacombs. And again, I wasn't Catholic yet, but I had been struggling with Mary and a number of things Catholic. And there on the catacomb walls were so many images of the Blessed Mother. I was shocked. Absolutely shocked. Uh, right from the first Christians from the first century, uh, Christians who were martyred later, Christians who died in the catacombs, amazing. They all loved. Um, um, uh, they all loved our Blessed Mother. Just really amazing. And um, the final note to this one chapter is that the Catholic Church gives to men through Scripture and tradition the whole of God's teaching its meaning, and a guarantee of its authenticity. And, you know, in my Protestant years, our church fathers were the Reformers, Luther and Zwingli, and um, who was my favorite, uh, Calvin, and all of those. Um, it used to be my favorite, John Calvin. I just loved him. Um, but the fact is, the church fathers are those who began all the way back to be discipled, like Polycarp was discipled by the Apostle John, all the way back to the first century. We have a call from Lorraine in Rochester. Hello, Lorraine. Oh, hi, hi, Mother. How are you doing? I love to hear you. Thank you so much. I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, I, I just have concerns about the motto proprio that the Pope has issued. Traditionis Custodis? Which one? I, I don't know. The one on the Latin the on Mass? The Latin Mass. Okay. Yes. okay. Um, so, um, I've, I've, in discussing 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12, there are many parts of the body, um, yet you're one party. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And on this moment, and, and um, so in, in that theme, you're saying, I don't need you, but it's, if one part of the body um, suffers, then the whole, the whole body suffers. And I'm afraid that this is causing division and suffering in the body of the church by eliminating the, um, the, extra nor- or the extraordinary um, mass mm-hmm. of, of the ages. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering, before, 
when a when a pope makes such a harsh, it seems like a very radical uh, decision. Wouldn't he go before the blessed? Didn't it? Wouldn't it seem that he would go before the blessed sacrament and pray about it, or pray the rosary, or and I, probably he would have discussed this with cardinals. But but when you pray before the blessed sacrament, is it is it possible the Lord would have, have told him, um, No, I I don't want I want you to destroy this Latin mass. That's not possible at is all, because it? it's the Lord who gave us the mass. So no, the Lord would not have anyone destroy it. What the Holy Father is doing, I'm just going to say it simply, is not good. It's wrong. I'm even going to go so far as to say it's evil. Because the liturgy is not the Pope's possession to do with as he wishes. Now, I somewhat, I know a lot of people I'll get, who are going to say, who are you, Mother Miriam? Who are you to judge the Pope? Or ju-? I'm not judging him. I can't know his heart. But we can judge what people do. We're supposed to do that um, if, if they show that they're in sin. Uh, and we know that if it comes against Scripture or the Church. And um, he's coming against the Church with what he's doing. Um, and the fact is, I, I'm... Um, I've read what cardinals have written, uh, what Cardinal Burke has said, what Bishop Athanasius Snyder has said. Um, Dr. Peter Kwasniewski has written beautifully on it that the church, the pope, uh, he's not a dictator, and he really has no right to do what he's doing. So it's not valid. He has no right. He is not, uh, the liturgy is not his possession. It's the possession of the church, and the name of that motu proprio is traditionis custodis, which means um, the guardians of tradition, and he's doing everything to destroy tradition. Um, so it has uh, upset people throughout the world, and unfortunately, um, many bishops are going along with it, um, and even many want to go along with it, which is tragic. Um, and many are limiting the Latin Mass. I, I'm, I, I give thanks that uh, just uh, this week the Holy Father has affirmed the FSSP, for Society, Fraternity of the Society of St. Peter, who only celebrates uh, the extraordinary form. Uh, so blessed be God for that. I, I wish he would not limit the Latin Mass anywhere at all in the world, anywhere at all. Um, so Lorraine, you're right to be upset, and um, uh, I don't know what to do about the Pope's motu proprio, but it it actually, if it's valid, um, that would make Pope Benedict XVI's motu proprio invalid because he gave uh, free use of the Latin Mass without any priest needing even to ask their bishop. So a future Pope can't uh, negate a previous pope's motu proprio. So there's an awful lot of problems with it. And um, it, it's right to be concerned. Um, and again, um, uh, I hope soon it'll be shown to be of no effect and no power. Why would we want to pour lukewarm water on our face? We, uh-huh. we already have people who left, who've left. Yeah, uh, you're right. Lukewarm, lukewarm Catholics. 
uh, we, we live in a casual society, and yeah. casual can lead to complacency, and complacency can lead to compromise, yeah. and compromising our faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if people would look at First Corinthians, um, what I was looking at, chapter 12, verse 12 to 30, and um, it, it talks about the body, the body. And we're talking about the body of Christ. You can right. transfer that to mm-hmm. the body of Christ. And if one part suffers, then they all suffer. Absolutely. And I think the lukewarmness. So we need we need maybe during Lent, it would be a great idea to just, even before Lent, pray. Just pray for the Pope, for the Lord's wisdom to come down upon him and uh, That's help right. Him. Uh, yeah, we, and we pray every day for him. We pray for his conversion. And we pray every single day. Uh, every single day for him, Lorraine. You're you're absolutely right. Um, um, let me just see. I lost my my page here, but um, don't be so. I'm disturbed by it because there's so many bishops limiting the mass. Uh, they won't allow it. They're following his motu proprio word for word. I'm not saying they should disobey the pope. I'm not going to tell them to disobey the pope. Um, what, what I'm saying is what the Pope is doing, the uh, destruction of the church through the destruction of the Latin Mass um, is not of God. It's of the evil one. And very, very difficult to know what to do when bishops are in line with that. Very, very difficult to know what to do. Um, Bishop Athanasius Snyder said, quote, two diff- the two different rites of Mass are both spiritually beneficial in their own way. And he said, it is a great treasure of the faith for priests who were ordained and grew up in this form of Mass would be a spiritual violation not to celebrate the traditional rite. Very right. I, I love Athanasius Snyder. I um, love any, he, If anyone could read anything he writes, read it. <laughs> yeah, and he's on our board, Lorraine. We're very privileged to... Um, have his acquaintance and his spiritual uh, guidance for us. He's a gem, absolute gem of the church. And um, I know that there's a um, a range of uh, difference in uh, thought between him and, as you said, Cardinal Raymond Burke. Um, Cardinal Burke is a, um, a the canonist of the church, I believe. And so um, um, I... I, I and it was Cardinal Burke who invited me when he was Archbishop of St. Louis to begin this a community because he knew my dream. Um, and when it comes to canon law, I'm going to trust what he says. Um, I've, I've spoken with both him and Bishop Snyder. It's very difficult and it's very painful. Um, and I would just say if you have a bishop that allows the Latin Mass to continue, um, treasure that. Treasure that. Okay, Lorraine, I'm with you all the way. God bless you, dear one. Thank you, Mother. We'll keep praying. Bye-bye. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Talking about keep praying, um, we are um, coming into a new chapter now in um, uh, Keep the Faith, and it's on prayer, which many of us want to do going into Lent. It's a perfect timing for it. And it begins, what is prayer? And what would you answer if your child said, Mommy, Papa, Daddy, what's, what it is? What's prayer? What do you do when you pray? What is it? What would you answer them? It's good, huh? Because you're going to answer them so they can understand it. And whenever we get 
we can get simple enough to answer a child, then we know our faith. Because if we don't know it that well, we can be very complicated. But when we know it, we can be simple prayer. I, I'm not even reading it. I would just say myself is talking to God, communicating with God, not just talking, but listening. And this book says prayer is the raising of the mind and heart to God. That's good you don't have to speak necessarily the raising of the mind and heart to god how do we raise our mind and heart to god we raise our mind and heart to god by thinking of god by adoring praising and thanking him and by begging of him all blessings for soul and body do those pray well who at their prayers think neither of god nor of what they say Those who at their prayers think neither of God or of what they say do not pray well, but they offend God if their distractions are willful. Now, I'll tell you, dear ones, I am, I'm always distracted. I have, my mind's all over the place, so I'm very distracted, but it should not be a willful distraction. Every time I catch myself, bring myself back because my my mind wanders, so I bring myself back. But will for distractions during prayer will offend God, yes. There's the music for our final break, beloved. Um, And again, if you have anything on your heart, you're welcome to call in toll-free. During the break would be good, too. 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. And we'll be right back. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every every demonic influence, and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station on the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. 
Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our final segment for today. We have 10 minutes left. And again, you'll have time to call in if you wish. Our lines are open, one 511 5483 or email at mother at Just before our break, we had Lorraine call in from Rochester um, asking about the Holy Father's motu proprio uh, written last year, last summer, I think, um, on uh, the greatly limiting the Latin Mass, uh, the Mass of the Ages, the Mass of 2,000 years, and um, uh, many, many things he said there, and it was very, very uh, disturbing, earth-shattering uh, to, to, to millions around the world. And um, uh, again, many bishops have gone along with it and are, are prohibiting the Latin Mass, or not allowing new ones, not allowing the priests, uh, um, cutting down on the even the sacraments. Uh, uh, Cardinal Supic, for one, uh, just absolutely awful. Uh, no traditional mass, no sacraments uh, during Christmas, the first Sunday of the month. Just, a, just a, I see it as demonic. I see it as demonic, beloved. Um, Bishop Athanasius Schneider um, has an article, or at least First Peter one, First Peter five. I'm sorry, on the web, one Peter five, one Peter five, one word, uh, O N E Peter five dot com, um, has an article uh, written in Rome, January, uh, from Rome, January tenth of this year, just last month, and it says Bishop Athanasius Schneider is inviting Pope Francis to rescind the canonical provisions contained in Traditionis Custodis and in the responsa ad dubia um, issued by the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. That all happened before Christmas. The Auxiliary Bishop of St. Mary in Astana, Pakistan, that's Bishop Snyder, is also calling on his brother bishops to voice publicly and frankly their deep concerns about these documents in keeping with the parisia and sensitivity of synodality. That's the Pope's word. Um, in a reflection titled, The Duty of the Roman Pontiff to Restore Liturgical Peace, uh, Bishop Snyder asserts that a spiritual wound has been inflicted on Christ's mystical body. <laughs> through the publication of these documents, and that the Roman Church's entire ancient liturgical patrimony is under threat. The overwhelming, Bishop writes, <clears throat> the overwhelming majority of lay faithful and clergy attached to the traditional Roman rite keep far away from ecclesial and liturgical polemics, and they respect and pray for the Pope and for their bishops, he observes. They only ask for the right to be able to continue to live fully the liturgical patrimony in which they and generations of young Catholics have grown up, a right which the apostolic see guaranteed during the two previous pontificates. 
the Congregation of the Doctrine of um, Faith and Worship, uh, Congregation of the Doctrine of Worship uh, Prefect, Archbishop Arthur Roach, recently contested and belittled the idea that any injury has been inflicted on the clergy and faithful, telling the National Catholic Register shortly after the release of the responsa, quote, the liturgical possibilities are in place. The challenge is to get on with it without licking one's wounds when no one has been injured. I tell you, dear ones, whoever issues a statement like that is on another planet. His heart is not with the faith. His heart is not with the faithful. And he's blind. He's either lying or he's blind that no one has been injured. My goodness. Um, Archbishop Roach, who has sought to paint Samorum Pontificum, which is the doctrine of the motu proprio of Pope Benedict XVI, who gave freedom all over the world to anyone without the bishop's permission to celebrate the Latin Mass. But this archbishop now, who has sought to paint Samorum Pontificum as a failed quote-unquote experiment and made factually untrue claims about Pope Benedict XVI's motives for promulgating it, also dismissed accusations that the restrictions have not been carried out in a synodal way, saying synodality means walking together, which is the precise purpose of the motu proprio, expressing the direction in which the church is to walk in its prayer, end quote. How exactly that direction was determined remains unclear amid reports that the consultation of bishops on which Traditionis Custodis was based pointed to continuing with a prudent and careful application of Pope Benedict's Samorum Pontificum. But the fact is the new Bota Proprio uh, negates it. Bishop Snyder also urges Pope Francis to imitate the early church father, St. Irenaeus of Lyon, whom Francis will soon proclaim a doctor of the church with the special title Doctor Unitatis and promote liturgical peace with the many Catholics who have been marginalized through the promulgation of Fridicionis Custodis. In the second century, St. Irenaeus intervened to talk Pope Victor I out of a schism with the bishops of Asia Minor over the date of Easter. Contrary to Victor's wishes, bishops and faithful were wanted to keep their Easter tradition, leading Victor to declare churches and parishes holding that position heterodox and therefore excommunicated. In response, the bishops sharply rebuked Pope Victor, Victor, as did St. Arrhenius, who, according to Eusebius of Caesarea, fittingly admonished the Pope and warned him not to cut off whole churches of God which observed the tradition of an ancient custom. Thus, Irenaeus, who truly was well-named, became a peacemaker in this matter, wrote Eusebius, exhorting and negotiating in this way on behalf of the peace of the churches. Some scholars believe Victor backed down on the excommunications due to the saints' intervention, allowing the bishops um, of Asia to retain their tradition without hindrance. 
The issue was later resolved in the Council of Nicaea. In his reflection, we just have a couple of minutes left, beloved. Let's see if I can finish this. In his reflection, Bishop Snyder maintains that in light of St. Irenaeus, his witness, and the example set by John Paul II and Benedict XVI, Pope Francis should listen to the voice of the lay faithful, seminarians and priests attached to the Roman Church's ancient rites and guarantee their established right to worship according to all the liturgical books of the Roman rite that were used until the recent liturgical form. Were Pope Francis to act with such charity and pastoral humility, um, Bishop Snyder concludes, nothing would be lost and everything would be gained and the God of peace would be with him and with all the faithful. And then if you go to 1 Peter 5, you'll see the entire text of Bishop Athanasius Snyder's pastoral reflection. And it's called The Duty of the Roman Pontiff to Restore Liturgical Peace. The Duty to Restore Liturgical Peace and to God, the tradition of the church. It's his duty. It's not his to play with or to negate uh, or to change. Um, so, um, and I'm not saying it, I'm, I'm, I'm voicing the many who have already written on it. Um, there's the music for our um, close today, beloved. God bless you, and um, we'll speak with you tomorrow. Live the faith with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love God that way. God bless you. <laughs>